Acts 17, Part 2, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor Kevin Swanson. Good morning, Metro. It's awesome to see you. I got to spend yesterday afternoon with some of the Metro women at a tea that they had for me um, for our farewell, and it was just a sweet, sweet, sweet time of affirmation, of receiving a lot of love, and of course, we shed a few tears. But now I get to be with you and read the scripture for this morning's message that Kevin is going to bring. I want to um, just say something I forgot to say in our first service. Happy anniversary, Kevin. <laughs> 45 years on Tuesday. Happy Father's Day, too. It's a very special, special time. So I want to make a comment about the scripture before I read it because in the last few weeks, actually months, as we've been going through Acts, we have seen that God has provided something special for Paul. He provided a group of people to be his come alongsiders, people who helped him escape danger, people who protected him, people who positioned him for ministry, people who made sure that he was able to do all that God had asked him to do. He didn't do his ministry alone as a missionary. He had a group of people who came alongside of him and helped him. And that's what I get to do in my role with Paraclete Mission Group. I come alongside of missionaries who are serving at the end of the world in really tough places, isolated and alone. I get to come alongside of them to provide spiritual support, retreats, and resources so that they can do the work that God has asked them to do. But I don't do my work alone because I do my work with people who come alongside of me, praying and giving so that I can do the work that God has asked me to do, helping those out on the end of the spear, so to speak, do the work that God has asked them to do. And Metro, you guys are the ones who are sending me with your gifts and your prayers, individuals and as a church, you're sending me. And in this time of season for me when my support team does need to grow, I am especially appreciative of the gifts and prayers from the people here at Metro. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. <laughs> Acts 17, 16, Hear the word of the Lord. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? And others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up at the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. 
For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and histories and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design or skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, Metro. You know, it's very biblical to send your wife out ahead of you. Do you remember when Jacob in the Old Testament was about to be reunited with Esau and he was scared for his life? He sent his wives and children first, figured if they made it, that it'd be safe for him. So thank you, Linda, for uh, breaking the ice here. It's, uh, it's always a pleasure to be with my, my uh, Metro family. Let me pray and we will get into the word of the Lord. Uh, God, I thank you for the privilege you've given us as a church body to embark on this uh, multi-month journey uh, through the book of Acts. And we have learned and seen so much. And we, we see your passion for people and we see how you've designed the church to be the very entity that you want to use in this age to reach the world. And we see how people have responded to that and been faithful. Uh, sometimes to their own harm, but faithful nonetheless. And as we consider this man, the Apostle Paul, today and look at him through a little different lens, I pray that you will give each of us an openness here today uh, to ask the question, God, what is it you have for me to see to follow by example in the life of this man, the Apostle Paul? So God, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And I pray that you will remove distractions from us right now that would keep us from receiving the truth you have for us today. May you be glorified in this place. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen. amen. You know, it's easy to look at a, the Apostle Paul and, and think that, you know, he's, he's a bit of a troublemaker. You know, as we've followed him along, I was just kind of looking back over the past couple of weeks, chapter 16, he and Silas, his companion, get thrown in prison. It wasn't the first time. 
We get into chapter 17, they get into a new city called Thessalonica, and in rather short order, there is a mob that is formed to run him and his companions out of town. They went to a city of Berea, where Pastor Peter preached last week, where things looked better for a while, but then the very people from Thessalonica that had stirred things up came down to Berea and stirred things up, and Paul's companion said, it is not safe for you any longer here, and they hustled him out of Berea, and they saw the city of Athens as a safe place where they could take Paul, get him out of the line of fire for a while, allow things to calm down, and it's like, man, wherever this guy goes, he kind of creates trouble, and sometimes telling the truth does that for people. Interestingly enough, we're going to see something today in the uh, 17th chapter of Acts in Athens that we haven't seen yet on this entire journey. And it is simply this. Linda reminded us that Paul has always counted on his community, his companions, his, 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 his partners in ministry. Everywhere he went, he's never been alone until today. And these guys take Paul to Athens, and they get him parked there. I don't know where. Got, you know, got a room for him or something, Airbnb. And they said, stay here. Paul, just stay here. Stay put. Keep your head low. We're going to go back to Berea, try to calm things down. And, and we'll send some guys to get you once it's safe. Paul, you just, you just chill in Athens for a while. We've never seen this before. Paul has the opportunity to choose what to do with his time. He's got no companions with him. There's no church in Athens. There's no Christians in Athens at this time. He's completely anonymous. And if he just decides, man, I am going to be as lazy as I want to be until these guys come back and get me. I'm just going to rest. I'm going to kick, my, put my feet up. He can do that. Or if he looked around Athens and said, whoa, this is the big city. Athens has a lot to offer. And if he decided to indulge in what Athens had to offer or overindulge in what Athens had, you know, what happens in Athens stays in Athens, right? He can do that because he's alone. And we get to see today Paul with nobody but God, no companionship, nobody looking over his shoulder. Who is this man, the Apostle Paul, when he is all alone with just him and God? Luke's going to answer the question for us, but the question Luke can't answer for us is, who are we? Who am I when I'm all alone, just me and God? Who, who are you when you're in that place where none of your church peeps are around? It's just you. You can do whatever you want. This is what we're going to see as we look through this passage today. So let's get right into it. Luke, as he gives us this narrative that Linda read for us, he brings two things out about Paul, his actions and his words. And isn't that the same for us? Can't we relate to that? What do we do on any given day in any given moment? What do we say in any opportunity that we have? What are Paul's actions and what are Paul's words helps us to know who this man is when he is without his community? Well, as Linda read the passage in the second verse, in verse 17, we find out that Paul starts engaging with the people there in Athens. And he does it in a unique way. We find out that he engages with them in their space. 
Paul goes to where the people are. He doesn't set up a tent outside of town and advertise, say, hey, come and hear the Apostle Paul tell you about Jesus. No, he doesn't do that. He goes to where the people are, and he engages them there. We see he goes into the Jewish synagogue. There's obviously a small Jewish community there in Athens. He doesn't seem to stay there long. Synagogues weren't always safe for Paul. They've been dangerous places for him in some of the towns he went to. And then Luke tells us he goes into the marketplace, and day after day, he's engaging with the people on their turf. What's the result of this first thing that we see Paul doing? Verse 18, in the marketplace, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Do you see what's happening here? Paul puts himself in into the marketplace among the people and he starts having conversations with people and they find out that he's, he's not thinking exactly the same way they are. And, and they're, they become a little curious. They start asking questions. Some of them call him a babbler. What is this babbler trying to say? Others, well, he seems like he's talking about some foreign religion or, or foreign gods. He's got their attention. They've noticed him. And they're pausing and asking him questions. Where do you engage with people in their space? How does Paul's example apply to our lives? Do you know your neighbors? Do you know the names of your neighbors? Do you know the person who lives down the hall from you in your apartment, the one that you just pass by and avert your eyes? What about your your coworkers at work? Is it all work? Or do you ever engage with people in their place? God has placed us in the marketplace so that we might engage with people. Paul gives us an example of that here. The second thing we see Paul doing is he doesn't take the lead. He follows the lead of the locals. He doesn't come in like, hey, I'm Paul in here. I'm here to fix everything. No, he starts engaging with people. And as the opportunities, the invitations come, He responds to them. We read this in verse 19. It says, this is the people in the marketplace. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus. Okay, the Areopagus was actually a very significant place there in Athens. Today, in 2019, they still use the same word for the Supreme Court of Greece. They call it the Areopagus. And this was a place where prominent people met and they discussed important things and ideas and, and, and the, the civic leaders were there and the philosophers and religious people were, they would gather together in this place. And this was an invitation only place to go. And these guys had heard enough from Paul. They said, you know, you really ought to come to the Areopagus and share this with all of us. And Paul responds to the invitation. Okay, thank you. And off he goes to engage with them as a follower, not as a leader. So how do we follow the lead of those in our world? I'm sure there's a dozen different things that you could think of in those regards, but I'd just like to share one with you. If you call Metro Community Church your home, 
Metro Community Center is our opportunity to follow the lead of the locals. And just brief history for any of you that are new here, uh, our church is 15 years old. But about halfway through that time, we, we said, you know, we really need to start another organization that can engage with the people in Inglewood who we believe God has called us to serve in a way that the church never could. So we incorporated Metro Community Center as a nonprofit organization. We didn't come with this agenda to go into the city and say, hey, we're gonna tell you what you need and we're gonna provide these things for you. We actually came into the city to listen. And we found out where there were needs. We found out where there was lack here in this city. And, and because of that, we were able to start a basketball program and a computer lab and the Metro Life program, which is a one-on-one -on -one mentoring thing for high school students, the summer arts camp that every year they invite us back to do the summer arts camp. We're following the lead of the locals here in Inglewood, New Jersey. Now, I know a lot of you don't live in Inglewood. I get that. You know, a lot of us commute in from other communities. But if you call this your church, if this is your church home, then you also should consider Englewood as a place of ministry for you. How do you engage? Talk to the Metro Community Center people. Check off the box on your comment. We will get back to you on that one because we always need volunteers for the things going on here in Inglewood. And this is just the things we're doing right now without even having our own building. But we're already active here in this community by what? Following the lead of the locals. Not telling them what they need, but listening to them and seeing where God leads us to serve. The third and last thing that we see Paul doing here is Paul leaves the people wanting more. He leaves the people wanting more. What am I, what, about, what is, what do I mean when I say that? Paul doesn't go in to this meeting with Areopagus or in the marketplace with this complete package. I need to tell you guys points A, B, C, D, and E. Listen to me till I get to the very. No, he doesn't do that at all. He's always leaving the people wanting more than he gives them in any given instance. Let, let's see how that plays out. In verse 19, the second half of the verse, the people in the marketplace say to Paul, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. In that passage, the people twice say, Paul, we want to know more. Would you please tell us more? Paul has been quietly and intentionally positioning himself in a way that raised curiosity in other people. And they've started to trust him. You know, at first they maybe thought this guy was some kind of a nutcase, but now it's like, wait a minute. There's a ring of truth to what he said. What's going on? Tell us more. Tell us more. We want to hear more about this. Paul is very intentional about leaving the people wanting more. In verse 32, at the very end of the passage that we looked at, Luke writes this. Some of them sneered. This is after he gave his little talk in the Areopagus. Some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. He left them wanting more. How do you leave the people in your world wanting more? How can you be strategic about leaving people wanting more? Let me give you one suggestion, and I think it's probably universally applicable to this group here today. Tomorrow morning, Monday morning, I will almost guarantee that 80% of the people in this room are gonna be asked the question, how was your weekend? Yeah. 
right? Isn't that it? You go into work on Monday morning or you, you go meet with these people that drop your kids. Somebody's going to say, hey, how was your weekend? Right? Because it's safe. You're going to say it to some other people. Well, tomorrow when somebody says to you, how was your weekend? You know, don't like bang them on the head with a Bible. But say to them, Saturday was great. Nice weather. We got outside, did this, whatever. Got together with friends. Something. Sunday morning, I was at church all morning. It was awesome like always. Sunday afternoon, did this thing. Don't, don't say anything more than that. Just do that. Just drop that in there as a seed to be sown. And don't expect people to say, oh, please tell me more about your church. No, 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 it's not going to happen. But if you do that once, and then later on you do it again or something similar, or somebody says something and you say, oh, yeah, I got together with a small group at my church. We meet up once a week. It was awesome. People are going to start, wow, that's really important to you, isn't it? Well, yeah, it's a significant part of my life. Really? Why? And all of a sudden, you've sown some seeds that left the people wanting more. And you didn't have to do anything heroic or go out of your way. Just respond to their questions in a way that lets them know that you're involved in something that we call church. Let that be the open door that leads to more. Lead, leave the people wanting more. Paul was brilliant at this, and he gives us an example to follow. So that's kind of how Paul functions. We see those actions in Paul there. But what about his words? What does Paul have to say to these people when he gets the opportunity? We see that primarily when he gets the opportunity to speak to the Areopagus. I mean, this is his day in the sun. These are, this is organized. These people are all there. They're quiet. Paul gets the microphone, so to speak. He has this audience. And so we, we, we have recorded here what he actually says to them. And in verses 22 and 23, which I'm not going to read, he gives them just this little introduction before he really gets into the meat of what he wants to say. And, and Paul, he's clever here. You know, he, he, he kind of sweet talks them a little bit at the beginning. It's like, hey, I see you guys are really religious here in Athens. I walked around, I saw idols and temples and altars, and you guys are like really spiritual. But then he gets a little snarky with them, and he calls them ignorant, <laughs> which is kind of gutsy for him to do, but, you know, we'll, we'll grant Paul that. But he says, I saw one altar, it said, to an unknown God. He says, you guys are actually ignorant of what you're worshiping, but don't worry, I'm here. I'll tell you about this God that you don't know. And what he's doing is he's attracting their attention. He's getting them to sit up straight. What, what did you just call me? What, what? And now they're listening. He's got a captive audience here, and he shares them three truths. I would say he drops three truth bombs on these guys that are there to listen to him. The first one is simply the truth about God. The truth about God. And we have it in verse 24. And Paul says to them, there is God. There is a God. A God. One God, and he made everything. And so right away, you know, it's like, oh, what do you mean? We got 17 gods here in Athens. What are you talking about? There's one God, and he made everything. Oh, and he didn't walk away from it. He rules everything. So Paul's just kind of laid it out, the truth about God. There's one God. He's powerful enough to make everything. He's powerful enough to rule everything. Everything. And then Paul, I believe, he steps over a line here. He really he crosses a line, but he does it intentionally. He steps over a line because he says to them, temples, idols, 
altars are worthless. Now he's offended pretty much everybody in the room. But he's saying, you guys, think about it. You can't take your human hands and take a, a rock or a piece of wood and chip away and carve at it and then say this is a God and then worship it and expect it to like answer your prayers and stuff like that. Come on. <laughs> human hands that to make gods? No, 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 you got it backwards. You got it backwards. And, and Paul is sharing truth with them, but he's taking a huge risk when he says that to them. I don't know how many of you were here last week. I wasn't. But I listened to the message afterwards. And Pastor Peter spent a lot of time talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul is doing here. Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, is willing to take some holy risks because he knows he's about God's business and ultimately the results belong to God. And so he's just going to call it the way it is. You guys are wrong about your beliefs about God. I'll straighten you out here. And you are very wrong about how you're practicing your spirituality. It's actually worthless what you guys are doing. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, he can go directly against what he sees happening in Athens. Calculated risk, but the results belong to God. Paul has no problem shaking up their world as long as he's delivering truth, and he knows that he's delivering truth to them about God. Are we truth tellers in regards to God, or do we just kind of keep our head down and keep our mouth shut? Church, if you weren't here last week, let me summarize. Same Holy Spirit who is empowering Paul in that instance, it's available to us. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit every single day of our lives. And we can be bold, courageous, and seem crazy and leave the results to God. Amen. We have the same resource that Paul did. There's nothing unique about him in those regards. The truth about God. The second truth bomb he drops on them is the truth about sin and repentance. Sin and repentance. Read the passage for yourself or not. You'll never see the word sin in there. Paul never says the word sin, but he introduces the concept of sin. He's specifically looking at the sin of idolatry when he tells them the futility of what they're doing in their religious worshiping system and how foolish it is to do what they're doing. Paul has in the back of his mind the Ten Commandments from way back in the Old Testament where God says to his people, look guys, if, if you start making your own gods for yourself, that's ridiculous and foolish and that's going to separate you from me. That's sin. That is called sin. If you, at the end of the day, instead of going home to your own house and your own spouse, you go to your neighbor's house and your neighbor's spouse, that's sin. And, and that's going to mess you up. And, it's, and it's, it's bad for you. Don't do that. And so Paul is introducing that concept here to them as he presents their religious system. But listen to what he says. Verse 30. Speaking to the Areopagus. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent, to repent. And Paul is saying to them that when we become aware of our ignorance, of our sin, of our wrong choices, we need to repent. We, we need to not continue in that direction. Don't justify the wrong things. No, stop it and turn and go in a right direction. Now, sometimes we hear the word repentance and it's like, oh, no, that's not a good word. 
But it is a good word, church. Repentance is actually good news. Repentance is God saying to us, I'm willing to give you a do-over. When you realize that you've gone the wrong direction, you have an opportunity, you have a choice to make to turn away from that and go in the right direction. And Paul is saying to them, this sin of idolatry you guys are practicing, you need to repent from that, turn away from that, and turn in a direction that I am going to show you. Repentance, church, is actually good news. You and I are surrounded by people in our world who need that good news. A world who needs to know the truth about sin and repentance. Finally, Paul drops on them the truth about God's provision. He sort of painted this picture now of who God is, We got this sin problem in the world, repentance is possible, and now he's gonna show them God's provision for them. Paul has just uh, spoken to them and he's talked about a little bit of history and how God has functioned with his people, and he comes to this in verse 27. He says, God did this so that they, they, all people, that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him. Though he's not far, from any one of us. God's provision. What Paul is saying here is that seeking God and then reaching out to God leads to finding God. There's this progression here. This is hardwired. Starts by seeking God. This person seeks God, they learn things about God, they get some knowledge about God, some truth about God, which leads to reaching out to God, which means that there's a decision point here of saying, okay, I get it, God, yes, I want what you have to offer. I reach, I'm reaching out for what God has to offer. And then Paul says, you will have found God at that point when you get to the place of reaching out to him. We shouldn't be surprised if it sounds simplistic because God doesn't make himself hard to be found. One of God's attributes is not hiding himself from us. No, God reveals himself to us. God makes himself available to us so that we might reach out to him and find him. God has been reaching out to you for your entire life. He's been reaching out to you since before you were born. He's been reaching out to us since our first parents rebelled against him and sin separated us from God. God has been reaching out to us, most notably through his son, Jesus Christ. God has been reaching out to us. Our response is to reach out to him and receive what he has for us. And then Paul says that will lead to finding God. What is he talking about when he says finding God? Is, is God behind the, to speak? no. What, what Paul means when he says that is that finding God means finding a relationship with God, moving into discovering a relationship with God that God offers to us. It means finding the forgiveness that God offers freely to all of us humans. It means finding and experiencing the peace that Jesus said, peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Finding God means experiencing the peace of God. Finding God means finding the abundant life that God has for each and every one of us right now 
We don't have to wait till heaven to experience what God has for us. No, he has an abundant life planned for us right now. Finding God means living into experiencing the abundant life that he has for us. And finally, finding God means discovering the hope of an eternal life that God has for us. As we read the scripture and the promises of God and we find that we will be together with him for eternity. Finding God. Some of you today are probably in that seeking mode. That's great. I'm super excited that you're here. If you find yourself as a seeker today, being a seeker after God is a wonderful place to be and it's a horrible place to stay. Don't be a lifelong seeker. Don't be somebody who just accumulates knowledge about God and learns more things, more facts about God. No, that seeking must lead to a decision point where we respond to this God that we have learned about and we realize we need to reach out to him because we can't save ourselves. If we could, we would, but we can't. We have to reach out to him and receive what he has for us. So if you're a seeker, if you've been a seeker for very long, you've probably gathered enough knowledge, enough information to say, oh, oh, I get it. I need to reach out to this God and receive what he has for me. And then Paul says, that will bring you to a place of finding that God. We'll never find God merely by seeking. We'll find him by seeking and then reaching out to him and then finding that relationship that he has for us. In verse 31, near the the second half of verse 31, Paul says this, for he, that's God, he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Now again, Paul is leaving them wanting more. He's not naming this man at the point. We know who that is. But Paul is saying that there is a man who has been especially appointed by God And this man died, and then he was raised from the dead. Now, we might say, wow, Paul, you're dropping resurrection on these people this first time you talk to them. You know, theologically, you've you've gone a long ways with these guys in a short amount of time. I understand that. This is not the first time in this passage that Paul's mentioned the resurrection. He did way back at the very beginning in the marketplace, and that's when some people called him babblers, called him a babbler, because... What? A person rising from the dead? No, these people had no concept of that in their belief system. But Paul understands that the resurrection is is central to the entire message of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. It's, It's meaningless without the resurrection. If Jesus never resurrected from the dead, which, by the way, he promised that he would multiple times during his life, if he didn't resurrect from the dead, well, then everything else he said is in question. If Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead, then the Old Testament promises about the resurrection, they're they're in question as well. No, No, the resurrection is central to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul needs to present the resurrection to these guys even if they... Don't believe it at this point because the resurrection is proof 
of who God is and proof of God's power. And also the resurrection is our hope for the future because Jesus says because he resurrected from the dead, we too will be resurrected. Last week, Linda and I were out in California. We're meeting with some friends of ours. And on one day, we met with two different couples. Uh, We know them well. We know their stories. And we happen to know that both of these couples had experienced the tragedy of losing a child. In one case, they had lost two children, their only two children, one of them to a, a, a sickness as an infant and the other one to violence as a young adult. And the other couple had lost one of their sons to a tragic car accident just at the end of last year. And as we sat with these couples and we listened to them recounting their story and you know, experienced the grief with them of the loss that they had experienced, in both cases, completely unsolicited by us, we weren't gonna be the people to come in and say, oh, here's why you shouldn't be sad. No, we were listening. And in both cases, they brought up the resurrection. And in both cases, they brought up the resurrection as a hopeful topic. In the midst of their grief, they were able to say, but we know the day will come when we will be reunited with the children that we lost because Jesus rose from the dead. And he said that we will as well and we will be united once again. The resurrection is a very hopeful message, a hard one for these guys to receive the first time with Paul, but he knew how important and significant it was for them to be aware of the resurrection. How did the people respond to Paul then when he was done talking about the resurrection and the other truths that he shared with them? Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. So yes, some people blew him off because of it, but others saw enough truth in it to say, no, this conversation is not over. We have to hear more about this, which opened the door for Paul, of course, to continue to build this relationship. And at the very end of the passage in verse 34, Luke tells us some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Do you see what happened there? The church was planted in Athens. Four or five new believers because of Paul's message. One of them, one of the leaders in the Areopagus. The church is being built. Paul was faithful. Paul was a man of integrity. He used his time in Athens for the work of God. And the results were that the first church in Athens was planted. There were new believers in that town. So as we look at the man Paul this afternoon, we find out that the public and private personas of this man were completely in line with each other. There was no discrepancy. He was a man of complete integrity. His actions and his words reveal his deep commitment to Jesus Christ. When we look in the mirror and ask ourselves the question, what do our actions and words reveal about us? And church, it's very easy for us to take the Apostle Paul and put him up on a pedestal and say, well, yeah, he was the Apostle Paul and all the stuff he wrote, half the New Testament, and what a great man. Yeah, yeah, I get all that. But the same Holy Spirit that was guiding and empowering Paul is the Holy Spirit that wants to guide and empower us. And church, it's time for some of us to raise the bar a notch or two 
in our spiritual lives. It's time for some of us to quit just being complacent, to be kind of at this plateaued place. Yeah, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I'm good. No, no. We enter into a place of God wanting and inviting to use us in our worlds, just as he invited Paul to be used in his world. And we need to take seriously the actions of Paul and the words of Paul and, and, God, and ask God, how does he want to superimpose those on our lives? How does he want to use us in our world today? So let me just summarize and we're done. We need to start where the people are. Go to where the people are. Start where they are. We need to tell the truth without apology. We should never be ashamed of telling the truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. We should reveal God's relational priority. So much of our world thinks that God is a judge and, and a killjoy. No, God is inviting all humans into a relationship with him. And finally, we need to share the hope that comes through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The two couples we met with, they could tell their story of hope through the resurrection to anybody and people might not agree with them, but they can't argue with them because it's their story, it's their reality, it's what's giving them hope at this point in time. We need to share that hope as God allows us to. How will we respond as we look at Apostle Paul as an example for us? Let's pray together. Uh, God, we are so thankful that you have not left us alone without guidance, without direction, without truth. And even as we consider the Apostle Paul today in this very unique situation he was in, it's not that different from where a lot of us live our lives. And so God, I pray that we'd be willing to look at, at Paul and the things that he did, what he prioritized, where he pushed through even though it was difficult, and the things that he said to people. I thank you, God, that by your spirit you used Paul, that by your spirit you planted the, the church through Paul's efforts. And by your spirit, God, you are continuing to do the same thing even today. So, Lord, we just submit ourselves to you once again. And I pray, Lord, that for each person present here today, each of my sisters and brothers, that, that we'll at least take one thing with us as we leave one thing that you're pointing out to us, that we might follow this great example that Paul has set for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you've got a bulletin, you can pull out your communication card there on the back. There's some next steps. If you're using the app, uh, that's, that's available for you as well. The first one says, I am receiving God's gift of salvation today. This is the entry level to a relationship with God. This is getting to the point where we have been seekers and now we're going to reach out to God as he reaches out to us and receive the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, that he has given for the price of our sins that we could never pay for ourselves. Jesus does for us what we could never do. Uh, if you're at that place today, I would encourage you not to leave today without talking to one of us. You can stop at the next table on your way out on the left, talk to one of us pastors, talk to your friend who brought you, whatever the case may be, uh, because we don't want you to make that journey alone. We want to make it with you. The second one, I will engage with at least one person in their space this week. You're going to be in other people's space this week. The question is, will you engage with them? Will you ask God to reveal a way for you to engage with them? 
Third one, I will ask God to reveal where I should be sharing his truth. Maybe it's time for you to become a truth teller. Become a little more bold, a little more courageous. Leave the results up to God, but don't be afraid to drop the truth. And then finally, I will read Acts 18, 1 through 17 in preparation for next Sunday. It's always good to read ahead. You're much better prepared. Next week, uh, our good friend, Pastor Kevin Butcher, will be back with us. Uh, he'll be blessing us with the sermon out of this passage, so you really do want to be well prepared for that.